Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher. Here in New York City, where I'm still a little hungover from Cinco de Mayo. This is being recorded on Thursday, May 7th. But uh, in case you missed it, the other night on Twitch, I did commentary. And in honor of Cinco de Mayo, my co-host and I, that's Joe Stapleton, by the way, uh, decided that it would be fun if every time somebody won a pot, with pocket fives on the live stream, we would take a shot of tequila. Now, those of you out there that know me personally know that I'm not a big drinker. I've actually never had as much tequila in my entire life as I had last Tuesday night. I kind of felt like Derek Tenbush on his weekly Tuesday night drunk Twitch stream. Uh, By the way, this was the Event number three of the World Series of Poker Super Circuit Series played on GG Poker, which is a website that is relatively new. 2017 is when this site launched. It launched in Asia and is now starting to make its way uh, to increase popularity in other countries. Daniel Negreanu is uh, a spokesman and I believe a partial owner of the site. And that was one reason why he left PokerStars around that same time when this site was about to launch. Uh, It's a really fun site. You can slow roll the river. So whoever is all in on the river gets to pick how long it takes to turn over that final card. (laughs) So if you want to torture yourself and see if you busted out of the tournament or not, you can do that. Um, There are plenty of emojis to use in different situations. It's really a fun poker website. This series, by the way, is being streamed with a 90-minute delay on Twitch with whole cards up. So it was fun to do a live stream of an online event where we could actually see what the players held. Uh, A lot of big-time pros that are sponsored by GG Poker. We got to watch them play Elky, Fedor, um, who else? Felipe Ramos. It was super fun. It took about seven hours. In the course of seven hours, there was, I believe, seven instances of pocket fives winning. (laughs) And so that means seven shots of tequila. The good news is they were spread out pretty well over the course of the broadcast. But again, myself not being much of a drinker, I never should have agreed to this. By the end, you can tell that I am feeling it, slurring my words a little bit, stumbling and bumbling just a bit, but still trying to do my best to combine my knowledge of the game we all love and comedy with my fellow comedian slash poker broadcaster, Joe Stapleton, Stapes, as we all know him. Uh, For the last two tables, we were joined by the great Maria Ho, who very quickly... 
and as is her way, very game and up for anything, decided to do a few shots with us to try to, in her words, catch up. But there was just no catching up to where Stapes and I were at the time when this tournament got to the final two tables. Uh, I hope I did a good enough job to be asked back. I was told before we went on on live stream that they didn't want me to be serious, that they hired me because I'm a comedian and they, they have an irreverent attitude. So any type of joke we wanted to make was strongly encouraged. They weren't worried about offending anyone. They wanted us to drink. That, that was actually the producer's idea. So... Look, uh, you know, I can be bought and sold. So if you if you want to pay me <laughs> to do a live stream and uh, strongly encourage me to do tequila shots, you know, I'm up for a good time. But I am still paying for it here two days later. Uh, if you want to check that out, I tweeted it at the time when it happened. But I believe you can still go to GG Poker Official on Twitch and watch the entire thing. There were some really good hands. A lot of them we did not comment on because we were busy doing the many comedy bits that Stapes came up with for us to do together. Uh, there were giveaways. It was a really good good time all around. There's a $500,000 guarantee for this tournament and a real, honest-to-goodness, World Series of Poker circuit ring up for grabs. So obviously WSOP partnered with GG Poker to try to reach a larger audience for this circuit ring event. Because, of course, WSOP.com is only available in three states as of right now. So uh, this could be uh, a harbinger of what the World Series of Poker Online could look like this summer. I'm not sure. I don't believe anything has actually been officially announced. But they're doing a huge, and I mean huge, series of these online tournaments uh, $100 million in guarantees. So when I say huge, I mean it. This tournament, by the way, had a $210 buy-in with, it was a, a progressive bounty event, which is a really fun format if you've never played or watched one. Um, $100 went to the prize pool, the main prize pool. Another $100 went to the progressive bounties and only $10 went to the website. So you guys know me, I'm a rake knit. And just seeing that I was watching a $210 buy-in tournament that only had a 5% rake, that just really warmed my heart because typically online is going the other direction with the attitude of players don't pay enough attention to rake, so let's make it 10 15 20%. Well, that's more a live thing. I haven't actually seen too many 20% online. But yeah, it was great. And uh, really fun. So if you haven't had a chance to check that out and you didn't stay up drinking with us on Cinco de Mayo, um, yeah, twitch.tv slash official. So today I'd like to get into a couple of hands that I played recently on ACR. I got my Hold'em Manager problem mostly fixed, although there's still some, some kind of bug or it, it doesn't work perfectly, but I was able to download all of the hands that I played in uh, an event in which I finished second. Um, yeah, sick brag, I know, but don't get too excited. It was a $6 buy-in with a $3,000 guarantee. So actually 
quite literally one of the smallest tournaments offered <laughs> on ACR is the one that I final tabled. Um, this tournament, I I got off to an unbelievable start. I basically doubled up on, I think, the first hand or maybe the second hand of the tournament and really never looked back. I maintained a well above average stack throughout the whole tournament. I was keeping notes on my opponents. I wasn't playing too many tables. I had, I think, four tables open on my screen, which is okay for me. I can take notes on my opponents on four tables. I can't play 10 or 15 tables and not just stick to a basic strategy because I won't really be noticing if I have that many open, I can't really pay attention to who's doing what. Also, it's been well documented that my laptop is old and not very powerful. So, you know, 10 tables at a time is asking a lot of this little computer. I really need to get a new system, but you know, that is something that's in the works. It's just hard for me to go out and go shopping right now. And I like to try things out in the store. I'm very old and I'm very old school. So make fun of me for that all you want. But I don't like to just go on a website and buy a computer that way. Anyway, uh, I wanted to run a couple of hands by you guys. I want to let you know that uh, if you have some hands that you want me to discuss here on the podcast, just hit me up on Twitter at Clayton Comic. I have officially opened my DMs. So you don't have to be followed by me in order to leave me a message. Um, I've been getting a few. I appreciate it. You can also post your, if you're a member of Tournament Poker Edge, which by the way, there's no reason you shouldn't be. For as little as $25 a month, you can have access to over a thousand excellent training videos by some of the greatest minds in the world of poker. I'm talking about Andrew Brokus, Colin Moshman, Mark Aliotto, on and on and on. You know the guys. You know who's on our site. Daryl Jace, Casey Jarzebeck. So, yeah, get in there and do that. And if you are a member, we have uh, an MTT forum that I've been pretty actively monitoring for interesting hands to discuss here on the podcast. As you guys know, usually I like to just cover the previous year's main event up until the time that the World Series of Poker starts just to kind of get us all in the mood to head out to Vegas and do what we're supposed to be doing every year in June. Of course, that's not happening this year, so that is why I've kind of put my coverage of last year's final table on hold for now. But I have two hands I wanted to run by you guys for this episode. I'd love to get your thoughts. Feel free to tweet me and let me know that you think I made mistakes or that you ran a hand through a solver and you realized that even though what I did may have worked out or not, This is what the uh, solver says I should have done, whatever. I love all kinds of feedback and especially something that I can learn from. So if I'm making mistakes, you guys should let me know that I'm making mistakes, okay? I'm not delusional enough to think that I'm a great player or like one of the best in the world and that I'm beyond reproach. And I'm not even fooled by the fact that I had the chip lead in a $6 online tournament pretty much start to finish. Um... (laughs) That doesn't make me think I'm the best in the world either. So, all right, without further ado, let's take a look at the first hand from the $6 3K guarantee on ACR last week. Okay, so here we are, relatively early in the tournament. We are first in chips out of 227 players. Registration is still open. We've been actively taking notes on all of our opponents. The blinds are 525, 
and 1050. Okay, so I know we all have things about ACR that we find fault with and want to complain about. To me, this is so stupid to have blinds of 525 and 1050 and then sometimes like the ante will be 112. Like, what are we doing, guys? I mean, come on. Like, I just don't see a need for these awkward numbers. But anyway, those are the blinds. So uh, the average stack at this time is 36,000. And Hero, Clayton, has 85,000. Good for first place so far. Uh, of course, it's still early and anything is possible. Uh, in this hand, we are in the big blind. It folds around to the cutoff. Now, the cutoff is a Brazilian player. And something I've been noticing lately, and I think I mentioned this actually um, on a recent episode of this very podcast, the South American players used to be known for being wild and loose and too aggressive and very emotional and like you could kind of count on if you saw Brazil, Argentina, any South American country on the list that you could pretty much count on that player being a total speedball. Uh, that's not happening anymore. It seems like the Brazilian players, at least the ones that are online, have gotten very tight, like noticeably tight. Most players that I've seen on ACR are from the U.S., so you notice when a player is from another country. And what I've noticed a lot is that the Brazilian players, they just don't get involved without strong hands very often. So when I see that, I assume that even from late position, this open has to be given a little bit more respect than you would had it said United States of America under the player. So I've also been observing this player since this table started and... He hasn't really gotten out of line yet, supporting, so little confirmation bias, but supporting kind of the theory about Brazilians in general. So anyway, he opens, he makes it 2205 <laughs> with 58,000 behind. It folds to me in the big blind with pocket sixes. All right, now against another opponent, or even occasionally against this opponent, it's fine to put in a three bet here. I mean, I just made that whole spiel about how South American players don't get out of line. But that doesn't mean they never try to steal the blinds. But I do think that when my stack is noticeably much larger than the other stacks at the table, I am somewhat less likely to become a target of a pure blind steal. So I think overall, this Brazilian player is going to have a real hand a little more often than he should. So that's a good reason not to three bet, okay? So I choose not to, and I think it's fine to just go ahead and call and see the flop here with pocket sixes. So with 6,060 chips in the pot, we see a flop of five, four, deuce, rainbow, five of spades, four of hearts, deuce of clubs, hero with two red sixes. So we flop the very rare, <laughs> almost impossible, overpair with sixes. Um, also notice we do have a gut shot straight draw. So it's obviously an above average flop for our hand. I decide to check. And now my opponent puts in 2,020 into the 6,060 pot. So he's betting one third 
of the pot. Now, that's a really small bet. Um, I, I don't really know what to read into that because I've just noticed that better players are making smaller and smaller flop bets. Still, I think that he should make this bet with his ace-queen, ace-king, ace-jack type hands a lot. Those hands will often mistakenly think they have plenty of outs against my hand. Uh, They, of course, will have plenty of outs against my range. So suppose my opponent has ace-jack offsuit, then he should be able to win the pot a lot. If he gets called here with his little continuation bet, he should often win the pot with an ace, a jack, or a tray, which of course would give him the wheel, but unbeknownst to him, it would give me the six high straight. So therefore, I think I have even greater implied odds than I usually would in making the play that I decided to make here, which is check raising it up to 7110. Okay, now this is because I want to force exactly those type of hands, ace-queen, ace-king, ace-jack, to make an even bigger mistake when they call this check-raise. So suppose he has something like ace-jack of hearts, and so he flopped two overcards, a gut shot, and a backdoor flush draw. For many players, that's enough to go ahead and call a check-raise on the flop and see what happens on the turn, like see if he picks up equity. Uh, Of course, I also don't mind if those hands fold. Getting a player to lay down with six clean outs is obviously a good thing. Uh, But yeah, this is more about trying to get him to make a larger mistake with those unpaired ace-high type of hands. So I like to check-raise with this hand. If I'm behind... I can pretty much assume that sixes and threes are outs for me. So there's your six out draw that I have myself. Anyway, I do make it 71-10 and my opponent just calls. At that point, I, I can put him on one of those suited two high card hands, including an ace or an overpair, something like Pocket aces, pocket kings, pocket queens that just aren't ready to fold yet because I could be check raising here with a combo draw, maybe something like six, five, four, three. Like there are hands that he's still ahead of, even when I check raise. And also, computer models, game theory, you do need to call with two overcards, even a check raise on a somewhat scary board, you need to call sometimes in order to avoid being exploitable. So his strategy here would be mixed, sometimes bet folding with ace-king, and sometimes bet calling uh, as he did here. And I'm not saying he had ace-king, but just, you know, that's part of the strategy. So those hands I still think are somewhat in his range because also notice the check raise I put in isn't that big. So he calls 5,000 more, and now we've built a nice pot of 20,230 chips. Why don't we just call it 20,000 and and stop with all these ridiculous <laughs> little chips on the end. Uh, a beautiful tray of diamonds hits the turn. So now we have the six high straight, five, four deuce on the flop. 
tray on the turn, full badoogie, no worries about a flush. And because I took the lead here on the flop, and because I think my opponent will call pretty often when he has any ace, and won't really call when he has something like pocket queens or pocket kings, uh, or any overpair really, other than aces, is probably not going to give me any more action no matter what. I decide to go ahead and bet a little over half the pot here on the turn. 11,000, what did I bet? I bet 11,200 into 20,200, and my opponent just called that. So I do think we're going to be up against the straight a lot when this bet gets action. Uh, most likely pocket aces, um, but sometimes ace-king, ace-queen suited, ace-jack suited, those kind of hands that, as I said before, may have gotten stubborn on the flop. Regardless, we're not worried about him having 7-6. That's just not a hand <laughs> that will be in uh, a typical Brazilian opponent's opening range from the cutoff, believe it or not. You just won't see that hand. I mean, I'm not saying it's completely out of the question. Note that 7-6 was uh, open-ended on the flop and now beats us. But, you know, having two sixes, if he has 7-6 and he's Brazilian, so he's not supposed to have any sixes in his hand at all when he opens, uh, yeah, I, I'm not too worried about that. I was never concerned about that particular hand. I guess there's some chance my opponent could have a set Pocket fours, pocket deuces, those are possibilities. Pocket fives, definitely possibilities, okay? Uh, but again, kind of hard to flop a set, so you want to discount that and go with what is more likely uh, in these situations. So yeah, I bet, and I was delighted to get action. He calls, and now there is 42,660, and my sizing on... Uh, the earlier streets, the flop and turn has now created a, a favorable scenario where my opponent has 37,000 and there's 42,600 in the pot. So uh, if I want to get all in on the river, it will be less than a pot size bet. So it won't seem that crazy for me to do so. The river comes the five of clubs pairing the board. So not my favorite card, but it does raise a few questions like with the board pairing and now knowing that I could possibly be beat and being out of position where I can't check and find out, should I bet small and just try to get a little value uh, and then be prepared to fold if my opponent did just make quads or a full house? Or should I go for getting called by an ace or pocket aces, a straight, a worse straight than the one I have. So here's where I really want to get to the crux of this hand. For me, I don't worry enough about whether I just got rivered. I had, I tend to be a little overly optimistic. So I didn't concern myself about, oh, well, let's just try to be careful and and just maybe make a little bet and be prepared to fold. Like I didn't come this far with this hand to lay it down because he, he might have me beat. You know, when you have the six high straight and it's likely that your opponent has a lot of five high straights in his range, that's an opportunity to get paid. So to me, I go for maximum value here. I shove all in 
and my opponent tanked. So once he didn't call quickly, I knew that my hand was good. So now I'm just hoping that he finds the call. Uh, and he did call with pocket aces. So a pretty unlucky turn card for him. But also maybe he could have gotten away from it at some point. I'm not sure. Uh, part of it may have been, you know, I'd been apparently running over the table. You know, I got this chip lead. I had a big hand early, but then after that, I didn't have to show down a lot of my hands. And I think that players who are paying attention can sometimes, what's the word? I guess level themselves into thinking that I'm always trying to bluff everybody and that they should call my big bets. But, you know, whatever. It's hard to fold a straight in a $6 tournament. And my opponent had pocket aces and, uh, you know, he made a straight there. So he, he just, what are the chances that I have a six? You know, I don't know. I, I think it's a really horrible spot for him. But maybe with the five pairing on the end, he could have gotten away. But he didn't. And all that did is uh, increase my already substantial chip lead in this tournament. If only they could all go like this one. All right, let's talk about one more hand from that same event. Now it's much, much later, okay? Hours later, uh, registration is closed. We're almost in the money. It's like 40 or 50 players away from the money. Blinds are now 1,400, 2,800 with a 420 ante that everybody pays, just like in the old days. And believe it or not, I'm still the chip leader. My stack is now 386,000 and the average is only 105. So I've got 3.7 times the average stack, 85 players left in the tournament. So that's always a great feeling when you're almost in the money and you also have a big stack. So I had been moved to a new table. So I've been paying attention and I've noticed that there is a lot of terrible, loose, aggressive, silly action at this table. Uh, one of the worst players at my table also has the second biggest chip stack. So that's a great situation. Also, he's three to my right, which I really, really love. So you want the bad players on your right, obviously. And, you know, it's, I think it's even more true in tournaments. So, again, the blinds are 1,400, 2,800 with an ante. And then uh, it folds to the cutoff, which is this terrible player second in chips with 164 behind. So he opens to 7,000. The button folds, and then the player to my right with only 69,000 in chips, who I've noticed is a very, very bad player himself, just calls. So I have two loose, terrible players in the pot already, and I'm sitting in the big blind with the jack of diamonds, four of diamonds. Now notice that the opening bet was much bigger than the min raise that we usually see online. The blind was 2,800, he made it 7,000. But now that the small blind called, I'm still getting almost five to one to call. Now jack four of diamonds, let's make no mistake, is a hopelessly terrible hand. Uh, if you told me that you would never call, in this spot, even if that first bet had been a min raise, I can't really argue with you too adamantly because it's just so hard to win pots, especially against loose players with jack four. <laughs> it's just a terrible hand. In fact, I sometimes use it 
as a bluff pre-flop when several players have limped into a pot or maybe there's a min raise with several calls. I will sometimes squeeze with jack four from the big blind because so often my raises from the big blind will be with very strong value hands like ace king queens kings and aces i use jack four as like kind of a randomizer uh but not always obviously i didn't do it here i just called but yeah uh it's if you have a spot where usually you're going to be making a value play you need to have bluffs to balance that and jack four is one of my favorite hands to to use as a squeeze especially when there's a bunch of limping you know five or six players limp in and i want to put in a huge bet pre-flop i want to be able to do that when i have aces so i also need to do that with some bluffs so i call and the pot is now twenty three thousand six eighty. let's call it 24 just to be pragmatic and the flop comes ace of diamonds five of clubs Deuce of clubs. And we have jack four. We're first to act. We have the jack four of diamonds. So we have a gut shot and a backdoor flush draw. So not that much to work with here. Uh, I'm not first to act, sorry. The small blind, who is a very short stack. Now, uh, he called with only 69,000 behind. So he's got an SPR of less than three. Small blind checks, and I don't, I don't lead here. That would be very strange. I just check, and the original raiser bets seven thousand into the twenty-four thousand pot. So here I'm getting four point five to one. The the small blind folds, so it's up to me. Uh, you know, I I just I can't fold, and this is maybe the problem with calling with the jack four in the first place is now going to be tricked into playing a pot, which is now getting a little bit bloated. You know, I just, I can't fold yet. If he would have bet any normal amount, I could fold, but I just, I can't, I'm sorry. I I have to call one time and see if I can, you know, peel off a gutter. Why not? Uh, So yeah, that was my plan. Just call one time and then, and then get out of here. But you know, notice I could pick up a diamond draw on the turn, Um, A few other good things I could pair up on the turn, although I'm not sure whether I could be too excited about hitting a four, but a jack might be good enough. So it's not hopeless and it's a good price. So I call and now the pot is at uh, almost 38,000 and the turn is a jack of hearts. One of the cards I just mentioned. So it gives me a pair. So now I have a pair and a gut shot. And I wasn't too excited. I didn't really think that my jacks will be good a lot. I feel like my opponent in this hand, even though he only bet 7,000 here on the flop, this particular player was very passive. So his bet on the flop of any size will be an ace more often than a different kind of player. Okay, so what I'm saying is, he's more likely to actually have an ace. So that jack didn't turn me on too much. Uh, I checked and I was delighted that my opponent checked behind. Uh, Not that that means my jack is good, by the way, because as I mentioned, he is extremely passive. He's also extremely loose. The river comes, the tray of diamonds, giving us the straight. 
Okay. So, wow, Clayton, you just went on the podcast and told us two uh, hands where you made a big hand. So there's a reason for it, guys. I'm not just saying, look how good I ran, because that's not interesting. But what is interesting is, now what should I do? Like, what do you do when you make your straight against a passive opponent? Well, think about that for a second. If we check, he's probably going to check even when he has an ace. So we should probably bet something and try to get called. But, you know, remember, I marked him down as a loose, passive, terrible clueless opponent which is one reason why we called with the jack four in the first place because we can exploit this player's mistakes a lot so here's what i did remember my opponent has a decent stack he's he starts this hand with 164,000, and he really hasn't put that much in yet Thirty-seven thousand six hundred eighty in the pot i bet sixty thousand five hundred so 180% of the pot. Now, this is obviously an extreme overbet. Against really tough opponents, I'll also need to make this bet when I don't make a straight on the river. Like, for example, if I missed a flush draw. Remember, there were two clubs on the flop. Uh, I need to do that to balance my ranges and make sure that my big overbets are not always with the nuts. But, but against an opponent like this one... I don't think it's necessary to balance your range. And I think that as online players especially study and study and study and they, they try to get every single spot down cold with their, you know, Pio or Pio solver. Still not sure how to pronounce that, by the way. But whatever solver program they use, they forget. Like, you're still playing against other human beings. Well, <laughs> I guess on ACR you can never be sure <laughs> whether that's true. But... Uh, if this guy's a bot, I hope he wasn't a very expensive one because he's pretty awful. Uh, yeah, so you don't really need to balance your range if your opponent wouldn't really know the difference anyway. So just when you're playing against a terrible, loose, passive opponent who calls way too much, just bet the crap out of your big hands. So that's what I decided to do here. And he basically snap called with ace-8 offsuit. So I won another really big pot here. And I wonder how much more I could have gotten. I mean, a really p terrible player has top pair. Almost any bet is going to get called. So believe it or not, after this hand, I thought that I may have left a few chips on the table. <laughs> I should have just gone for all of it. But, you know, I guess that's extreme. But as you guys have seen, uh, I do have an extreme approach sometimes. And when I identify a mistake that my opponent makes, and I see that my opponent is particularly likely to make a given mistake, I will try to maximize the exploitation of that mistake and get every last chip that's available to me. So obviously you're not going to see players like that in the super high roller bowl uh, or in the 5K6 max at the WSOP, but this is one of the adjustments I like to make when I'm playing small stakes online is that you can actually make it worth your while to peel off with uh, a jack four on this flop. It, it really helps over the long run to occasionally get a huge bet paid off on the river once we get there. So that'll do it for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed these two hands. I'd love to hear your thoughts on them. Be honest. Would you have even considered betting so big on the end? 
on, on hand number two here. Um, I'd love to know what you guys think of these plays. Feel free to let me know, good, bad, or ugly, on Twitter, at Clayton Comic, all one word, C-L-A-Y-T-O-N-C-O-M-I-C. And be sure to check out TPE. We've got a lot of great content. Everybody's home, quarantined, and making videos, so there's all kinds of stuff for you to check out on my favorite training site. So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you all so much for listening. Love nobody.